91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Pasta Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week, once again, Kyle dipping out on us like a bitch, but we are joined <laughs> by one of my oldest friends. We went to high school together. We both worked at our same first job together, and now he's an accomplished writer, and I talk about movies for free on the internet. So, Eric Brown, <laughs> welcome to Horror Movie Night. Hey, thanks for having me. Who's that fancy motherfucker behind you, though? <laughs> oh, you mean... That fancy motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> For listeners who are not patrons, um, it's a fancy dog in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Eric, we will dive into your book in a second. But I will say that midway through watching Cabin Fever, I found myself thinking, wow, this is a really good tie into Eric's book, actually, in a lot of ways. <laughs> so let's dive into this because I know... That when you sent us a list of options, I saw Cabin Fever, and immediately I was like, I know that I have watched Cabin Fever in Eric's basement circa 2003, 2004. I think we had to have. We had to have. There's no way we didn't. So I was like, this is the one we should definitely talk about because there is memories tied to it. And I walked away from it with three different thoughts. It was like, some of this stuff holds up amazingly well. Yeah. Some of this stuff it does not hold up <laughs> at all. And my perspective of the main characters at 36 is wildly different than my perspective of them when I was 17. <laughs> this movie is so 
it's weird, first of all. And <laughs> the, I had the exact same thoughts because I just, it's so uneven. Yeah. It's so bizarre. Like, the horror aspects are horrific. Yeah. But then the comedy parts are just bizarre. They're not funny. <laughs> and the characters are just all pieces of shit. But this movie got so much praise when it came out. And I think that that was why a lot Never of us it. liked it. Was that... Like, I know that Quentin Tarantino called Eli Roth the future of horror, and, like, he started... Obviously, they had a whole relationship. Peter Jackson liked the movie so much that he wrote to Eli Roth to have a personal print sent to the set of what? Lord of the Rings where they would watch the movie frequently on the set of Return of the King as, like, a rest what? stop. But, like, here's the thing you have to remember, and I, and I definitely remember this aspect of it. Horror fucking was garbage in like 1999 to 2002 where it was like it was like a carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy of scream at that point and you were yeah. getting stuff like teaching miss tangle so like to get this hyper violent like it totally makes sense that peter jackson likes this movie because it feels like dead alive like it yeah. is so splattery and gory and i didn't think I remember in 2002 thinking we weren't ever going to see a movie like this ever again. So it was like kind of this exciting, like, oh man, we're getting back to just like no holds bars, gore, offensive, crazy, like packed with comedy movie. But now we've seen people do so much better versions of this yeah. that this is like, all right, like, thank you for opening the door, I guess, Eli Roth. But like, his, the rest of his filmography says plenty about Absolutely. him as a film director. Was this before Saw, too? Yeah, this was two years okay. before Saw. So, like, it, it really did kind of kick open a door into, like, oh, we can be gory in horror films again. Because I think that the late 90s had the same issue as the late 80s, where, like, the censors were really cracking down on what you could and couldn't do. And supposedly from the stuff that I researched, like... Eli Roth had written this script in like the early nineties when he had like gone on a tour, like went to another country and came back with this really bad skin infection and they, no one wanted to make it cause horror was not doing well. And then scream blew up and they're like, we'll make it more like scream. And he's like, I don't want to make it like scream. I want it to be this own thing. So then it was like another waiting period until like horror was back to a point where no one really wanted to finance it. But he was like, Hey, but I can go to like, new line cinema or whoever like someone who was like an indie enough company that they were like if you can make it cheap let's do it type thing but yeah this was like a 10 year old script and some of the jokes show that <laughs> i don't know man i would say that eli roth might still make these jokes in 2022 <laughs> he's he's a very uh abrasive man you know i gotta say i love eli roth as a concept but i fucking hate his output I have yes. never enjoyed yeah. a second that I have watched of his films, but he just seems so amicable. He's super knowledgeable of horror. I, I love him in Inglorious Bastards, but you know, <laughs> like it's just he. Yeah. I don't know if this is fair or not, but I lump him in with uh, Adam Green because. Yeah, but he, I, I like Adam Green's output more than I like Eli Roth's output. I agree, but I also think that they're both bad. Um, yeah, I think, and I think that the funny thing is, is that they are so dissimilar as people because Adam Green is like he comes off as the douchiest douche, and yeah. Eli Roth just comes off as kind of like a fanboy that gets to make horror movies. I love that. 
But I don't love well, these I movies. I think they formed. I gotta double check this now. Yeah, they formed the group of the Splat Pack back in the day. the The concept of the Splat Pack was literally just, hey, there's a bunch of independent horror filmmakers in the early 2000s that yeah. were like doing these hyper gory movies, and some of these names I don't recognize, but among the Splat Pack. James Wan, Rob Zombie, Adam Green, Eli Roth, Robert Rodriguez, and then like George McLean, um, who did Wolf Creek, which I never really liked that much. And then like I liked Wolf Creek too, right? Was that that's the that was yeah, the one that Wolf was Creek funny. Two is crazy. Yeah, oh, we and did Neil that. Marshall, like it, it's basically the people who you imagine the guy who did the uh, Evil Dead remake and, and oh um, Fede. Yeah, and the guy who did the Hills Have Eyes remake in Piranha 3D. Like, that was the Splat mm. Pack as... And that wasn't like they decided to form a group. That was essentially just like the a bunch of filmmakers came out at the same time and, like, Entertainment Weekly was like, they're the Splat Pack! Like, <laughs> I was going to say, I hope they didn't come up with that name. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they're like, you know what, guys? Let's brand ourselves. <laughs> like, kind of started bro horror at the same time yeah. because this is definitely the, the beginning of... And then the rest of Eli Ross' career, a lot of bro horror. Just well, like, I'd hey, say, here's some douchey bros yeah. going out and getting killed. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen like Hostile Part 2 in a while, but I remember when I first saw that, it was one of the only Eli Roth movies that I'm like, oh, this is actually surprisingly really good, like well-made. I watched enough of the first Hostel that I wasn't about to to, yeah. <laughs> to give I, a shot I, to the second one. I've watched all of them, but I, I do remember Hostel 2 not being terrible. He actually has... The whole main cast is a group of women, and they're actually... Because he actually makes them likable humans, whereas all of his <laughs> movies just have the most unlikable characters. Yeah. Yes, that is true. That it was, that was So here's my favorite thing Eli Roth ever did. Besides, we'll take the Thanksgiving trailer off the, Ooh, off the table. I take it all back because the Thanksgiving trailer <laughs> is the horror movie that I'm never going to have and I want so desperately. And yeah. so I can say that I have enjoyed two minutes of Eli Roth's output. <laughs> so, so Eli Roth, like many filmmakers that I love, got, their, got his start as an intern at Troma at one point. <laughs> and there's this absolutely horrendous exploitation film that I still kind of love called Blood Sucking Freaks. DVD comes with the warning, warning this film contains scenes of freaks sucking blood, <laughs> which is fucking great. Well, brilliant. they weren't lying. But this like 70s exploitation film, most of the people who made it are dead or like untrackable. And they were going to put it out on DVD, like Troma's going to do this special edition DVD. And Eli Roth was like, Wait, so you're just not going to do a commentary track because you can't track down any of the cast and crew? And he's like, pretty much, he goes, let me do it. And he just <laughs> sat in the booth pretending to be a film historian and just BSed fake facts about this movie <laughs> for 90 straight minutes of this commentary track. You know what? I have to say Eli Roth is the perfect example of fake it till you make it because he went from doing that to actually having an, ent an entire miniseries <laughs> where he got to do that for real. So good job, Eli Roth. Watching this movie at 36, I realized that I gave Ryder Strong a whole lot of passes when I watched this movie oh, as yeah. a kid because I'm like, hey, it's Sean Hunter. Sean Hunter can't do anything wrong. But like, uh, He date rapes his girlfriend. So Yeah, he does a lot of bad things. And I even wrote down in the very beginning, like, Ryder Strong deserved to get bit by Dennis. Like, he's just, yeah. like, plopping on this bench, fucking with a random strange kid. Like, yeah, sometimes you're going to get but bit, everybody weirdo. knows you don't sit next to Dennis. Dude, yeah. I 
can't believe this was the first time that I noticed that the next time we cut to Dennis after they suggested that he should make a sign that there's a sign behind Dennis that says do not sit next to Dennis. That's one of my favorite tiny little parts of this movie. (laughs) It says in big bold, do not sit next to Dennis. And I love that there's no explanation of who Dennis is. They just assume you know Dennis is the kid on the swing and shouldn't sit next to him. Yeah, I was shocked at how much I forgot about this movie because like I was visiting my brother and he had to work he was working in his office and his office just happened to also have a dvd player and he owned the dvd so i was like this is perfect i'm gonna pop the dvd in this and and watch it and he was like oh he goes uh cabin fever dr mambo dope and i'm like what are you talking about and he's like you don't remember dr mambo it's the best part of the fucking movie and not only is he right that it's the best part of the fucking movie but the character of Grimm is fucking worthless to this plot. And I never realized it before. He brings zero things to the table beyond introducing weed. a dog that could have been a wolf. Yeah. And also, the, I think the dog is the most likable character in the movie, too. <laughs> it's true. He's, he's like, the only one that knows what to do in this hungry. situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his, his owner's dead. He's just hungry. The only people he can find to eat are all of these teenagers. No, they're probably not These teenagers. I Thirty-year-old. I would. Yeah, I love at the yeah. very beginning. The first thing you see is that girl say, "College a fucking racket. Don't come to college." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yelling at a little child with a big gulp. Oh, yeah. the biggest of big gulps too. I honestly, when I was watching this movie midway through it, I was like, I think I would like this movie more if it was just about the bowling massacre because, like, that's yeah. the movie I want to see. <laughs> I want to know where that came from too, because it doesn't. That's another thing that doesn't add anything to the story. Nothing adds to the story. It's not the, about adding to the story. It's about adding to the runtime. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very much so. I don't even think they need that. I think it could have been fine at like an hour and 20 minutes as well. Yeah. When I was watching this movie, another thing that kicked into my brain and what ties into your book so well is I'm like, man, in a weird way, this is very much a pandemic movie. Mm-hmm. And it was never better summarized than we're all going to get it. We're all going to get sick, and Jeff is just in the woods getting drunk. If that doesn't sum up the last two years in America. Except for Jeff getting drunk in the woods is also the one who went to the Capitol on January 6th. So That's true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do like that plot device that they are having. They're hanging around the fire, bullshitting, and he's like, I bet that you can only, I bet that you can only drink beer. It's it's good story writing, you know, I, it's I good, think. Yeah. But, so here's the two things that I I was thinking when I was watching this movie that really kind of bothered me. And this is like Matt, the guy who's never written a script before, sending notes to a dude who has a way more successful career than me. You've written half a script. I've written half of many <laughs> halves of scripts. I think that the idea that they're getting it through the water is a good idea. Mm-hmm. But I think that that should... I think that that gets murky because like you get it other ways too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like it's like it I think that it it's it would make more sense to me it's like if it was only getting into them through like contaminated water or like actively digesting fluids in their mouth. I'd be like, "Okay, now you've got the situation where like they could have absolutely helped each other." just so long as they didn't get shit in their mouth, but they're like separating themselves so much that they're causing their own trouble. And then admittedly, this did become a much better movie with, with Tucker and Dale. But I, I almost wish that the townspeople were trying to be helpful and that they were like fucking causing their own 
chaos. Like, I actually don't like the idea that the whole town is, like, trying to cover shit up. Like, I think it's it works better that these shitty teens cause their own problems by assuming that the town is out to get them. <laughs> yeah, I, if you're saying that this is a, a 10-year-old script by the time it hits theaters, it means it was written in 92, which is really... I mean, that's crazy. Let's not... Let's just say 1998. You know, like, okay. because he's talking about X Games. You know, uh, Eli Ross' character Grimm is talking about being a, a professional skateboarder. So let's just say, like, 97, 98, when the X Games were a big deal. Because they are kind of passe by 2002 and it hit, which I thought was very funny watching it this time. <laughs> let's just say 1998. I don't think anybody is thinking that meta about backwoods horror you know like it's just it had to go through so many i think that meta horror had to go through so many permutations because to get to where tucker and dale would work well student bodies was 81 and then you know we get scream in the late 90 well 96 so like we get scream right before let's say that scream was the direct influence on eli roth writing this script i mean that's just obviously silly conjecture but for this thought pro- thought yeah. experiment, let's just say that. I think that it's expecting too much of any one horror lover to be, like, taking that gigantic leap to where Tucker and Dale is because we don't have wrong turns yet. We had to get through a couple stages of different meta concepts. And I think that torture porn kind of... This is, like, proto-torture porn. Obviously, Eli Roth is one of the big forerunners of that whole, like, sub-sub-genre. And that that is not something that I can easily forgive him for but that's not what we're here to talk about i just think that torture porn kind of was necessary so that we could get to the need for something like tucker and dale which is very silly i mean because then we have hatchet that's adam green and like i think that there's a direct line through you know like student bodies to scream i mean these are making big jumps but like student bodies texas chainsaw massacre 2 scream and then we have you know ultra violence with saw and hatchet but hatchet like boom right there is what brings you to tucker and dale because hatchet is also very tongue-in-cheek but it doesn't yeah it doesn't take the idea and and flip it where it's innocent rednecks and people that are killing themselves because they're scared of the innocent rednecks i think it's just like too much to expect in 2002 in, in 97 or 98 when eli rath was writing the script we uh, in this thought experiment i do like that like first interaction they have at the general store mm-hmm. and the old dude just casually drops the n-word and that's the hard like, oh we need to get out of here i like that part because it's what we would expect and then that final scene when the group of black people show up and he runs right into the general store and then just hands the rifle over to them and is friends with them I think it's such a good joke, but it's undermined by his use of the word. <laughs> well, I think that the, the, the joke I'm there, like, is though, this? is that he, he sees them as cannon fodder, right? Like, that's the way I took it the la- the second time watching it. Yeah, but he's like, he's basically, the old dude was just like restoring this rifle. But the whole joke was, you think there are these racist backwoods hillbillies yeah. that are only going, if, as soon as like a black person shows up, they're going to shoot them. Yeah. And the whole thing was, he's actually basically hired by this group of black people who brought him a rifle and were like, hey, can you restore this? And he's like, here, I even polished it up for you. And they're like yeah. best friends with him. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was expecting too much from Eli Roth in that scene. <laughs> no, and, and I think that you're right because like you could have got that same joke not using the N-word, but just yeah. using any other, like anything else where a character would go like, oh, okay, this guy's a racist and we need to get out of here. Yeah. It would be funnier if it's just a colloquialism and he's just never been 
exposed to modern life, I guess. Yeah. And so he's like, he's, you know, like, I'm not racist, but, you know, like, yeah. he, just, he, he actually isn't racist because he's fine with the, the black people that come in at the very end of the movie, but he still is ingrained in him. He just doesn't think it is. I mean, that, that would make the joke work better. This, this whole movie is a series of short films that someone just, like, hobbled together into a singular movie. Like, yes. they're all, like, individual okay, so, ideas yeah, that then, work then as, like, a five-minute short. Yeah, what's your favorite five-minute short from this movie? Eric, go. <laughs> I mean, it has to be everybody's favorite part is the shaving the leg scene because that's also based on his real experience when that's why he wrote the thing was he was shaving and that's when he got the skin infection. He was just shaving off like layers uh, of his flesh. Uh, uh, yeah. And I just think that one character's whole, she was pretty much the only likable character. Yeah. And because she was, she wasn't a total horrible person. And she also was kind of trying to do good things. Like she goes off on her own, which you should never do in a horror movie. Yeah. And she goes off on her own and breaks into a house very <laughs> casually. But she's still trying to do something while everybody else is just being total assholes. So here, I, while we're talking about her, I want to I, <laughs> I want to bring up one of those things that I read where I both understood, but was like, this doesn't make any sense. So. The film that that actress was in prior to Cabin Fever is that she's the foreign exchange student in Not Another Teen Movie. And during her sex scene with Ryder Strong, apparently there was a huge fight between her and Eli Roth about the nudity in that scene on how much of her butt she was willing to show. She said, I didn't want to get typecasted as the girl who does nudity all the time. Mm -hmm. So they're agreement was that there would be exactly one inch of butt crack showing and they had to like measure it out <laughs> and tape the sheet to her butt. But I'm like, the rest of her is nude. Like, I don't think that the exposure of the butt is what's going to typecast you. It, I think the nudity in general would be the thing. It's fine if all of the skin on her back is coming off and you see her boobs as well. Yeah. But if you see her butt in a sex scene, that's when it's That's. I was just so confused by the logic in that. I love that leg shaving scene in the sense of it is such a cheap, simple trick that is yeah. still so effective. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like you literally just put the makeup on, you throw the shaving cream in there with some food, like with the red dye, and you just shave it away. But, like, the effect that it actually has when you're watching it is so, it works so well. It really it's, does. It's probably like a $10 effect that works better than some of the effects <laughs> that they spent, like, a shit ton of money on in this movie. Are you saying that they spent a shit ton of money on any effect in this movie? Because I. Probably not. I but, don't know, believe I mean. you. <laughs> And it that's was a lot Greg of lighting Nicot tricks. Who did the uh, makeup too, right? Because I think it was Greg Nicotero's company that did the makeup too. And I think they were still pretty. He did like The Walking Dead, and mm. like that was the main stuff for The Walking Dead. And I think they had just kind of started their company. I could just be making that. That up. could be accurate, even if you said that it was because I think of when they flipped the one girl over. In the yeah, her face. in the cabin, in her face like that looks like a Walking Dead zombie to me. Yeah, it so does. that completely really makes does. sense to me that like it's the same guy. I'm sorry, um, not in the cabin, in the shed. I, I, in the shed, in the shed. I have to. Yes. I don't want people to be like screaming at their phones as they're listening to this episode, being like, "The cabin's where they were sleeping. The shed is where they <laughs> threw her." Speaking of super expensive, realistic looking effects, 
We got to talk about that deer that Ryder Strong is. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be Eli Roth just taking the piss out of the audience at that point. There ain't no way in hell anybody at like one point so thought that deer So much of this good. movie is him taking the piss out of the audience because he's <laughs> like, like, as hard as I'm coming, well, oh, that actually sounds terrible. <laughs> Let's I, I, that. As, as, as much <laughs> as I'm gunning for Eli Roth in at the beginning of this episode, man, there's no way for you to edit that. <laughs> anyway, the, as much criticism as I'm giving to him as a filmmaker, I feel like I'm heaping praise on him as we discuss things because, again, he seems so fucking likable. This movie I don't necessarily love, but it's one of those movies that, like, I, I say this about Empire Records all the time. I like watching a movie where you can tell that everyone was having a blast making it. And like, there is not a doubt in my mind that every person working on this movie was having a good time while they were doing the movie. I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I can't speak to that. I, I know the Eli Roth yeah. was having a blast. Is, that is the only thing I can definitely say. <laughs> so what I'm getting at is that I think that I have to like him more because of when he made this movie, he was not, he had no illusions about what he was trying to do, you know? And so he didn't, reach for the stars and fail with any of his effects or any of his shots. Everything he did was, like, very honest with what he could accomplish. And I just think that that's so admirable. And God damn it, I feel like I have a man crush on Eli Roth. Like, I don't. But I, here's another thought experiment. How do I hang out with Eli Roth? Tell him that I like him but hate his content. Like, there's no way to do that. And he'd you find know out. As you're talking about this, though, I'm starting to also realize that, like, it makes sense that this movie does feel like a bunch of disconnected ideas and, like, shorts and stuff because it is someone's first movie. And in a lot of times, that's all they get. So, yeah. like, yeah. I could see him being like, look, if I'm going to make this movie, I'm going to take every crazy idea that I've ever had for anything and tr find a way to work as many of them into this singular script as possible because... I might never get money to do anything else like this I think again. That's exactly it, and that's why it it feels so uneven throughout the yeah. whole movie. Yeah, it's it. There is like seven different movies happening simultaneously <laughs> in this film. Like the through line is the hey, we've got a skin infection, but like like you said, like the entire campfire scene is is a short film. It has nothing to do with anything. You know what I mean? Like the bowling alley massacre. I, if I had found out that that was a short that he had filmed like two years prior and then was just for budgetary reasons, was trying to like add to the running time by just inserting that into there, I would have been like, totally, that makes sense. <laughs> like, absolutely, it's 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 wild. So there's one last thing that I think about with this movie when I think of my buddy Eric over there, which is that we were working at a, a retirement home when this movie came out. And I think that we got people doing the ooh face to each other oh, in yeah. the entire the entire staff. Even people who hadn't seen the movie started doing the face to each other. And it became such a thing that I completely forgot where it came from for a bit because <laughs> yeah. people who would ne had never even watched Cabin Fever that were doing it, and I was just like, oh okay. And it wasn't until literally this rewatch because I hadn't watched it in years, yeah, and I all of a sudden was like. Me, Wait, we used to do that. And I was like, used was that, that from this? <laughs> Core memory unlocked. <laughs> it would literally be something as stupid as like if someone's job was to take apart the salad bar. 
someone would like throw a crouton at them and when they turned around they'd just be like faced and then like go into the kitchen like it was the most wholesome harmless stuff that we were just like doing that move to each other with it was good time hated that job love the people (laughs) (laughs) there's kind of like this little pulp fiction ripoff because they grab that little the hillbillies grab that little box and then they never oh yeah box ever yeah that's this one giant dude walking around with this little box his little mcguffin device to the ear (laughs) and that was it he falls down that we never find out about this box ever again i didn't think about the pulp fiction aspect of that but yeah that is 100 just like what's in the briefcase in pulp fiction (laughs) like he's just walking around with his MacGuffin. Well, I just want to bring you up like an elevator, not down like also an elevator. Yo, it's Word Burglar. I'll tell you later. I'm the host of the Geekscape podcast. Do you still like this movie? Where a guest and I find out if we still like a movie that we used to like. I'm also a rapper of rhymes, and I got a brand new vinyl crowdfunder on Bandcamp right now for the MacGuffin device LP. 14 tracks of old school hip hop infused with geeky, nerdy things like vinyl collecting, comic books, video games, action figures, cartoons, Dungeons and Dragons, all kinds of dope stuff wrapped up over old school hip hop beats and turntablism. You can help support at wordburglar.com and hopefully I can get in your ears soon. Geekscape forever. 921 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers? Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. All right, Eric, we've hinted at it a couple times that there's a couple elements of Cabin Fever that kind of make sense for your book. Let's talk about your book, because when this episode comes out next week, that shit's in stores. My book is called All That's Left in the World, and it is very different from Cabin Fever. I have to put that up out there because it is (laughs) there are likable characters in it, but it is a (laughs) pandemic story, which I I wrote the first draft of it in 2015. So it kind of is like Eli Roth, where he wrote this thing. <laughs> it's your it fault. For anything to happen. <laughs> and and it, it's weird because it's, I got my agent with it in 2019. And we did some work on it at the end of 2019 before we went on submission in February of 2020. And it sold March 13th, 2020, which was the first day of COVID lockdown in New yep. York, where my publisher's based. Yeah, that was the day that so we were supposed eight. to go to Monster Mania in yeah. New Jersey. <laughs> and that was the, the last day that I worked in an office. March yeah, 13th, they, Friday they the canceled, 13th. 
They yeah. they really waited till the zero hour on they Monster waited Mania Thursday too. night the twelfth at eight p.m. Because I was frantically texting Matt and being like, "Dude, I I can't come. I can't come because it's like a seven and a half hour drive for me." And I was like, "Dude, I, we, this isn't. I can't do this. I'm freaking the fuck out." And he was like, "Oh, it's okay. Check their status." And I was like, "Okay, well, I guess that's a relief." But also now we're in for X amount of years of bullshit. Yeah, and yeah. death. But Meanwhile, Philly was like, "We." They were like, oh, we're going to have a conference. We're going to have a press conference on Saturday morning. And then they say Saturday morning. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to lock down on Monday because they didn't want any of the St. Patrick's Day stuff happening that weekend to get canceled. Jesus Christ. So they let them all go out, get drunk in bars, go bar crawling all over the city, and then decided to lock down on Monday. Hey, good old Philly, the super spreader city. Uh, (laughs) It's the Texas of the East Coast. Oh, yeah. Eric, tell us a little bit about the book. What is it called? And yeah, they can get it at bookstores everywhere. Yeah, so it's uh, um, All That's Left in the World, and it is about two teens who survived this super flu that basically wipes out 99% of the population. And... Uh, one of them, Andrew, is injured and kind of breaks into Jamie's cabin, gets held at gunpoint, and then all of a sudden they become friends. And they are trying to survive in this kind of new world. And they're, they head south to try and figure out, they hear that the European Union has like help that they're sending because they had a whole quarantine that worked for them. And they have to get to this airport by a certain time. And they're trying to basically travel through this post-apocalyptic America and hopefully get saved, but we have to see if they make it. It's a romance. They're, it's a queer romance, so they kind of have this slow burn, will they, won't they, throughout the whole thing. I'm excited. and I'm, I it's actively sweet. didn't pre-order it because I want to be the person who walks into the bookstore and buys it. Like I I like being able to take that, hey, I've got the book in the store photo. <laughs> so. And I'm actually having, on March 5th, at Giovanni's room in Philadelphia, so... Ooh. If anybody hears this on March 5th, it starts at 6 p.m. It's me and another queer author, uh, Charles Bush, who he has a book coming out. It's called Every Variable of Us, which is a really, really, really great book. It's about this black girl in West Philly who is, she's like a basketball star for her school. She knows that her only way out of West Philly is to get this basketball scholarship. And she's injured in the crossfire of a gang shooting. And she, like, loses feeling in her leg and she can't play basketball anymore. So this girl kind of recruits her for the STEM team at her school in order to help her get college scholarship through STEM instead. When I was reading it, it kind of reminded me of Legally Blonde, where it's like a West Philly L. Woods. Because it's all about this girl who has, like, society's telling her, you're good at basketball and that's it. That's all you can do. Anything else, you can't get out of this West Philly neighborhood. It's either basketball or drugs. And it's like such a beautiful story of her realizing her worth and it's completely different from mine so <laughs> i love it if you're looking for it. something uplifting get that one too <laughs> follow it up with that and then if you want something that's just going to emotionally devastate you but also make you laugh you can get mine as well <laughs> perfect it's a double feature there we go what a segue so now it's our segment what's your double feature but at the end of every episode we take the movie that we just watched we imagine all right we're walking into the hollywood video and we're going to get two movies it's a two for one deal what's the movie that we're going to partner up with cabin fever scott i'll let you go first well the thing that sucks is that you really kind of well we i suppose ran through a lot of the uh prospective 
good double features. And so I, I actually, my, my backup is I'm going to start with Cabin Fever, and then um, I need a little pick-me-up, and I'm going to do do myself one better, go with the Comfort Cabin in the Woods movie, and I'm going to watch Evil Dead 2. Nice. Very nice. Funnier, gorier, better all around. Hopefully I don't steal this one because I wrote this down as a double feature that I would put money on the table actually happen in your basement in the year of 2004. But I would watch Cabin Fever and then immediately put on a film that had the exact same color gels all over it and watch House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Oh Sony. my God. <laughs> I was thinking about saying that one. But <laughs> I was literally thinking about saying that because I think, I'm not sure if these movies came out around the same time, but I know that Rob Zombie had so much trouble just getting his movie released. So I'm going to go with, and this is going to make sense in a second. I'm going to go with the original Dawn of the Dead because number one, screwdriver in the ear. Oh, that's yeah. both a kill in both movies and that was also one that it kind of I had heard about it so much before I saw it for the first time so when I saw it finally I was really disappointed in it mm-hmm. and I think it to me when I was watching it it felt so uneven where Night of the Living Dead was like this like really dark horror and then I also saw Day of the Dead before I saw Dawn of the Dead and that was pretty dark and then Dawn of the Dead had these weird kind of quirky moments. Mm-hmm. In like it. a pie fight in the middle of the mall with yes. a bunch of bikers. And then, like, the entire soundtrack was <laughs> like... had those like little weird quirky things. And it took a while for me to actually watch it and appreciate it for what it is. And I think that's where I'm at right now with Cabin Fever as well. So that would be my double feature. Perfect. Well, you're not off the hook just yet. There is one last segment that we do on the show, which is what have you watched, read, whatever, uh, where just let us know something that you're watching or reading or listening to that you want to give a quick shout out, usually to say, hey, this is worth checking out or, yo, stay away from this at all costs. My wife was out of town for a, a weekend. And so I was like cleaning and doing laundry and and put on some movies and one was both were satisfying one i had known about for a long time and had very low expectations and then the second one i knew nothing about and then um it popped up on netflix and i watched it and i was very impressed now the first one is wally's wonderland which is uh nick cage led ridiculous uh movie from 2021 i guess that was last year right matt yeah was, uh, all i know about is that he has very little dialogue no he has no dialogue almost, he does not speak. and it's like a five night at freddy's type thing yeah almost, it's five right? nights at freddy's but with nick cage and um <laughs> i expected to like fold laundry and forget that i was watching the movie but i actually enjoyed the watch it is weird not in a quirky way in a kind of like head scratch why does this feel dated in 2021 already i don't know if it was the gels i don't know if it was it felt very music video like early 2000s music video in a lot of the fight scenes that maybe it's just the editing in any case it was worth the watch i mean i don't watch just anything with nick cage in it i'm not one of those people but i feel like it's a good way to kill an hour and a half because it's just stupid fun and then um, the one that popped up on Netflix that I watched the next day that completely came out of left field, and I know why after the fact, it's called No One Gets Out Alive. And I mentioned it on our Facebook group um, the day I, day after I watched it, I guess. And um, it's about a um, an undocumented woman from Mexico who 
is living in Cleveland in the winter. She's renting a room in this house and it's like all shady and it's basically like a very interesting haunted house movie and I don't want to give anything away because it came out in September of 2021 and obviously like myself as a person who is pretty obsessive about watching any good horror movie at the end of the year that I might have missed and I totally missed it I don't want to give anything away because it does have a cool twist but um I didn't love the special effects uh like the CGI special effects but I also understand that there are budgetary restraints we talk about that a lot on the show where practical may not be as expensive as CGI but there are so many fewer people that can actually do things especially like a very large prosthetic or or like a monster things like that um so obviously rely a, a lot of these like indie horrors will rely heavily on uh cgi but really really good story but the reason why it's such a good fucking story is because it's based on a book and so i want to read that book so for my uh what did i watch actually just dropped on hbo max like two days ago as of the time of we're recording this uh kimmy the newest Mate, you oh, picked yeah. mine again. <laughs> uh, well we can okay then you know what i'll pause on that i'll come back to it so we can both talk about kimmy yeah. at the same time uh but i read a uh read a book that kind of ties in with what Eric's here to talk about as well, because it's a YA book and it's got a little bit of a queer lean to it. Um, and it was Leah on the offbeat. It's the direct sequel to the book Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda that later became the movie Love, Simon. Also really fun book. I really like this author, uh, Becky Al- Albertalli, I think. Is Albertalli, how you- yeah. Albertalli. She's a great writer. Yeah, I think I'm going to go and pick up her other books uh, around the you same should. time that I go to pick up. Uh, all that's left in the world. So, she should. so uh, she, um, I think her most recent one is Kate and Waiting, and it was really, really, really good. That's yeah, I, I've I wrote down the list of the other three books that she has published, and I'm like, I'm just gonna get all of them because I like her writing style. But <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Kimmy for a quick second because that so, was fun, dude. <laughs> I'll be I'll be completely honest. I knew nothing about it. I, I literally watched it last night because my partner fell asleep like in front of the TV, he always does on like Saturday morning or Saturday evenings. And so I was like, all right, well, it's early. I guess I'll just figure out something to watch. And I knew nothing about it. And I didn't know what it was about, except for what their little blurb on HBO said. And I thought about it was either that or Antlers, because I hadn't seen Antlers yet either. You guys talk about Kimmy and then then we can do a quick little put a pin in that. So I did hear there was some lukewarmness to antlers <laughs> and i think that's why i went with kimmy because i didn't know anything about it and mm. i i usually will look up if i'm deciding between two movies i'll usually go on like rotten tomatoes or on their wikipedia and see what like people's reaction is to see if i should because there's so many movies and i have so little time to watch yeah. them so it's so i put it on and i love parts of it but i hated other parts of it like i think <laughs> Zoe Kravitz is amazing. Zoe Kravitz is great. It wastes no time. That's my biggest no. compliment to the and movie. It's like an hour and 29 minutes tops, yeah. which love that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's I, get back to the Now, anytime I see, anytime there's like a three-digit number for the, the runtime, I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and so I'm like, I think I kept watching it and thinking there was supposed to be something more, but there wasn't. And no. I think that's why I think... If I had known up front that it was just this simple, like, straightforward story, but it was the fact that it was Steven Soderbergh directed it, I was like, there's got to be some kind of weird thing going on. Yeah. The sound design was incredible. Like, when she, she's, so she's, like, an agoraphobic, and when she finally gets to leave her house, 
I had to turn the volume way down because it was like hurting me watching this movie. Cause like they do this weird thing with the sound where they're trying to put you in her head while she's actively panicking in the real world. And it takes place after the COVID-19 pandemic. She was an agoraphobic before. Then there's like something happens to her. She's like slowly working her way outside. And then COVID-19 lockdown happens and she reverts back to who she was before and she's an agoraphobic again. So I thought that was all great. I just didn't like the whole ending. I won't ruin it. But yeah, it's the last, the last third of the movie. I was just like, Neh. I think the last third is fun for what it is. But I think that I did like that. It was simple that it, it yeah. wasn't like there's not a million moving pieces. You're not going to have to overanalyze what happened. Like my brother said it really well. He's like, there is zero fat on that steak. Like yeah. <laughs> it takes if it's an hour and 29 minutes with credits. It takes about 10 minutes to get to the the main meat of the movie. And then it just moves. And when everything is resolved, credits. There's like, like you don't I have to. At one point at the end, just to get something to drink. And I saw there was 10 minutes left in the movie. I was like, how is there 10 minutes left of this? It's going so quickly. It's, it moves fast. I also think that, I mean... He's a master of handheld camera work in yeah. general, but that him running around with a handheld camera through most of that movie really kind of does a nice thing for building the like the tension throughout mm. it. So it is it's I, I'm I doubt it will be on my top list of 2022 yeah. or anything, but I definitely think sit down, don't expect it to be like something overly complicated and just take it for what it is at face value. And it's a fun little hour and a half action movie. Not even an action because, movie. Like, because it was an hour and a half, I got to watch a second movie afterwards, which <laughs> was not good. I did not like it, but it was, was uh, a dish. <laughs> it had been on my list for so long. And I was like, yeah, sure. This is an hour, like 40 minutes too. It was the second babysitter movie, Killer Queen. Oh, yeah. And I enjoyed it, but I liked the first one a lot more. I liked sure. the first one. I thought the first one was weird, but I, I appreciated the weirdness. This one, it just felt weird for the sake of being weird. Like all their little flashbacks and everything. It just kind of, I got annoyed. <laughs> I, I, I need to go back. I want to go back and rewatch Killer Queen. I was very happy with it when it came out. I watched it day it came out because Matt did an interview with um, half of the cast and the denouement moment was just so perfect and you know i just i feel like that movie might have to be one of those like be excited to watch it kind of things if you have expectations beyond just like this is gonna be silly fun it's gonna it's gonna fall flat <laughs> i think it's because i had zero expectations for the first one. Oh, sure yeah like, i knew i liked i liked mcg's other stuff and talk I was about like, a oh, guy you know that started out doing music videos. There you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I I am a proud fan of both of the Charlie's Angels movies. They are <laughs> complete messes, and I love them. <laughs> anyway, but like, I I go into the babysitter, and I, I I don't think I had expectations, and I was really surprised by. It. I really enjoyed it. I had a fun time. I mean, Smart Weaving's just so charismatic. And, oh yeah everything she does yeah and i also really liked that she came back for that one um and i think that all of the actors are great it's just the story in the second one i was just like yeah okay yeah i think the actors are fantastic they were the best part of the entire thing because you can tell 
they were all into it. They were yeah. like, yeah, I don't care. I think it goes to what you were saying, Matt, about movies where you can tell the cast is having fun. And I think I do get that when I'm watching a movie. I'm like, oh, the reason I like this is because they're all having a ball. And I think that's the reason I did not hate it because I was like, they're all having a really good time. I yeah. just they're wanted time? more from this. Story, I just want to be having a good time. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> all right. Well, that was Cabin Fever from 2002 as picked by Eric. Next week, we'll be back with even more horror movie night goodness. Feel free to shoot us some emails, hmnpodcast at gmail.com. Hit up our Patreon at patreon.com backslash hmnpodcast where you can hear Scott and Eric becoming best friends for 15 minutes. And Just 15 minutes. Stay tuned for more Horror Movie Night. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.